Welcome to the Measure Success Podcast, where we feature top leaders on how they measure success in their business and life. Now, let's learn from their experiences. Carl J. Cox here, and I'm the host of the Measure Success Podcast, where we talk with top leaders about effective strategies that inspire success. This episode is brought to you by 40 Strategy. 40 Strategy is built to make strategy work for small to medium size companies and organizations by designing world-class strategic plans and help keeping them accountable to actually get it done. To learn more, go to 40strategy.com. I am very excited about our guest today because we get to talk strategy, which is, of course, what we love here at 40 Strategy. And Jim Gitney is the founder and CEO of Group 50 Consulting, with 45 years of corporate and consulting experience working with over 200 companies and guiding them towards double-digit, top-line, and bottom-line growth. His letter participated in 11 operational and financial restructurings. He's the author of Strategy Realized, The Business Hierarchy of Needs, and he understands how to turn strategy into results. Jim, welcome to the Measure Success Podcast. It's a, it's a pleasure to be here, Carl. I'm excited. Thank you for inviting me. We, as as those who are regular show listeners, we always we almost always have a prep call. And Jim and I, when you get two strategy people together, and this is what we do, it's 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 hard to turn off the conversation. And once again, thankfully, due to time, and have to record another podcast after this podcast will stop, but not because you wanted to. It's because we have to. There is so much insights that Jim's going to bring to this. And once again, with a wealth of experience. So Jim, why don't you give us a little bit more detail about your current business avenue and how you make a difference in the world? So the first 25 years of my career was in corporate America, GE, Black & Decker, Sunbeam, Rainbird. And in 2004, I started Group 50 Consulting. And primarily driven by the fact that I truly enjoy working with teams of people to help them realize things they never knew they were capable of and to see the output of that and to see the success and the celebration behind it. So Group 50 Consulting is focused on working with middle market manufacturing and distribution companies. And I wrote the book, Strategy Realized the Business Hierarchy of Needs, and developed the business hierarchy of needs in 2013, primarily because during my entire career, and even to this day, I see strategies not being fully implemented because of a lack of alignment and agreement throughout the organization on what the expected outcome looks like and how to get there. And so... Even when we do a value stream mapping project or something deep down in the bowels of the organization, we always ask, what's the company's most important goal and what are their strategic objectives? Because we want to make sure that any recommendations that we make don't get in the way of them accomplishing those two things. So, Jimmy, you had a really important thing to begin with there, and you talked about this concept of the one KPI right? The one most important thing. You have, a, once again, tremendous amount of experience, have been a part of so many different implementations that have gone successful. Why is it important to focus on one thing when we have this tendency, we think we have to focus on five or seven or 10, because there's so much to do? 
Yeah, so that's a, that's really a great question. I'll give you an example. I was speaking with the chief operating officer of a university who told us that they had, I asked him what his strategic objectives were, and they wanted to put more campuses in Europe, and they wanted to add more athletic programs, and they wanted to do this, and, you know, educational excellence was one of their strategic objectives, and I asked, I said, why? And 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 he said, well, that's because that's what we've decided to do. I said, well, what are you really trying to do here? And he said, well, we want to be more attractive to students. Okay. So when you're more attractive to students, do you want to have more students? Do you want to have a better, quali higher quality students? Do you want a different demographic? And he started thinking about that. And he said, well, no, we want to grow. Okay, great. So your most important goal is growth. And he says, yes. I said, grow from what to what? By when? And he goes, well, we haven't defined that. And I said, look, let's define that. But let's also understand what the demographic is you want to grow and where you want to want to grow it. Then let's come back and reevaluate this the five, seven strategies that you have to find out whether that's really going to give you the growth you want in the market you want to, to, to grow in. So we have the business hierarchy of needs. We have also our strategic planning methodology, which is called where to play and how to win. And what I just described to you was the conversation on where to play, target audience, demographic, geography, and then how to win is those five to seven strategies. I sincerely appreciate that description because I, I often think there is this goal of we want to get these five to seven things done, but there's no clarity over whether that's going to have an impact in the outcome. So how do you get, you, you had a great question when you were talking with the educational institution about what to do. What is this concept? And I'll just say it's really, it's not uncommon for me to see a strategic plan where there is not metrics, so to speak. What I mean by that statement is they're just like what you said is they're, they're trying to accomplish things that they think is going to, we're going to go down this path because we think it's going to improve. It's going to make it a better place to work. And we're going to do this because we think it's going to speed up our operations. Right. But they don't ask the big question. Why are we doing it all in the first place? How do you help that going further on that discernment, right? Where people are stuck, they're like, well, we have to do these three things. We have to do these four things to get them down to the, the absolute one that they're fighting against because they want to keep on going back to three, four, five. So we use an exercise called the five whys. And, and of course, there, there are books written on your why, right? I take it a little bit further. And, and if I ask, if, if a company or a group tells me the three or four or five things they need to do, I ask them why. And we ask why multiple times. And we always end up getting down to that one why, which then we put a metric behind it and we call it the most important goal. Then we go back and test everything that they've got planned to find out whether that's really going to get them to that goal or not. And what happens, the reason the most important goals is 
critical in my mind is it's the binder for everything you do. So if I have three, four, five things that I think I need to do, I should be able to take each one of those and say, okay, how does that significantly contribute to achieving the most important goal? The other thing, Carl, that's interesting is when I have three or four or five things I need to do, it's incredibly difficult to explain that to the organization. Because typically it's the, you know, that's the domain of the C-suite and they, they have a way of synthesizing things so that it requires a lot of conversation to understand what it means, right? But if my most important goal is to grow the student base in Europe, right? Growth, geographic in Europe and in the liberal arts, now it becomes very clear to everyone what they should be focusing their efforts on. It's the same thing with increasing enterprise value or doubling sales or planning an exit. What we want to know is we want to know what the future state looks like and how we measure that and then give everyone in the organization an opportunity to contribute to it. I can explain a most important goal very easily. I can explain where to play very easily. And I can explain how to win very easily because those are all things everyone, no matter what their education level is, understands. I mean, we understood where to play and how to win. You know, the very first time we stepped onto the soccer field or the little league field or did our first dance recital, right? We completely get it. So what we attempt to do, Carl, is break strategy and its implementation down into fundamental elements that are understood by every stakeholder in the business. Let's, since you're here, let's talking about your book, because I, once again, just recent, this is once again, not something that you just came up with. It's something you've been practicing for years and talking about it for years with your clients and you finally decided to put it into a something nice so the rest of us can digest it talk through us with this business hierarchy of needs and what are the key core concepts behind it that we should understand so perhaps we take a second and we talk about maslow's hierarchy of needs because everyone yes. everyone says to me well you know you you copied maslow's hierarchy of needs and well no i mean you know, you have to have a foundational, you have a foundational need, right? And then you move to the safety and security and then on to other things. I don't even have Maslow's hierarchy of needs memorized. But the point is you move from a foundational level to self-actualization. The business hierarchy of needs has three levels, strategy, planning, and analysis knowledge and change management and implementation, all right? Without a strong foundational base where you have your mission, vision, values, and leadership traits, which most people don't talk about, right? You understand what your value proposition is. You understand what your key business lovers are and you create your most important goal. Only then can we move from the, what I'm in, the concepts of the business in the C-suite to the middle level of the middle level leaders in the organization where they now can plan the things they need to do around knowledge and change management. 
project teams, skills maps, what we call learning maps, succession planning, compensation, accountability, alignment, accountability, performance management, all of those things we need to do it, to prepare the organization to be able to not only fix the current state, but prepare for the future state. Once we've got that done, then we go to implementation, which is the equivalent of Maslow's self-actualization. Now it's interesting because I have it in a pyramid similar to Maslow's and I was, I had, I had lunch with another consulting professional the other day and he goes, your pyramid should be upside down, right? Because he uses the concept of an umbrella, right? Which we, we have all seen. To me, it doesn't really matter one way or another. Build a strong foundation, plan the organizational needs in order to implement the strategy and do the implementation. Now, what's interesting is that the numbers are 80% of strategies don't realize their intended value. And that happens to be the case for mergers and acquisitions as well. And 60% of CEOs believe they don't, their organization doesn't do a good job of implementing strategy. And the reason is because they don't spend enough time on that level two, which I call the bridge between strategy and results. Yep, yep. The bridge so, so between strategy and results. So let's talk about that bridge a little bit more. What, what are these... We were once again prior to this discussion. We have this thing that's known of the middle managers or middle leaders. I like you. You call it middle level leaders or influencers. Are the ones actually most likely to hold back a strategic implementation? So, without my presumptions, why is that typically? Why why do these middle level leaders typically push back? from it? And then what do you need to do to get them involved, to get them to actually be aligned to do it? So, you know, there have been books written about how the millennials and Gen Xers need to feel like they're part of something bigger. They need to, they, you know, part of their need, and we're going to talk about needs over and over and over again. They they have a need to be part of something bigger, to understand that they're, what their contribution is to that. Now, I actually don't buy into that, that it's only related to millennials and Gen Xers. I'm a baby boomer. And my whole career, I've wanted to be led. I want to know from what to what by when. Right? Mm -hmm. Now, the most important piece, though, is that I want to be part of the how. I want to be part, I want it, my voice to be part of how we're going to go from what to what. And I want my voice to be understood in terms of what I believe my needs are in order to make that happen, whether it's dollars, human resources, training, upgrades in technology. I want to be part of that. And I believe the answer to your question is that the reason that most strategies struggle in the middle level of the organization is because the strategic the, the steering committees and others don't do a good enough job of involving the middle level in the plan in planning the how 
Yeah, and I, I fully agree. I mean, with your assumption, that's been my experience as well as I think it's super important for the goal setting to be done by the highest level of leadership of clarifying where we want to go. But the reality is who's going to be doing it is going to be that middle level leaders. And if they are not a part of the solution and feeling like, because often, frankly, they are more aware of the details that are needed to be required. And if we don't look towards them, seeking best practices, seeking the best path, helping to understand the obstacles that their current organization has, we're going to be less likely to get there. And even worse, once again, we're not going to reach there at all. So you talked about something that I'm, I'm really curious about. Once again, I don't know how you, you mentioned it as a method to help get this team involved. And I just want to briefly, I know neither one of us are quote unquote compensation experts, but often what I'll see is somebody or a team or a company has some sort of profit share incentive plan something right and and often frankly they're not very tied to anything other than somewhat level of success or feeling based right mm -hmm. so oh great we're gonna we're gonna give out five percent quote unquote profit share to everybody or we're gonna give out a christmas bonus because we felt like you were working hard type thing all right so now you have people and, and perhaps you even have, maybe you've gone a step further, you even have management business objectives, right? Where a couple people are like, you do this thing and you're going to get some additional bonus on top of that. But how do you, when you have what I call a, we're just going to spread everybody across and compensate. And now we need to drive towards a new direction, a new key performance indicator that's really important to help drive the success of the organization. How do you, consider what things can we do in compensation to go from what I call a general blase, no direct effect to something that's going to actually be correlated with actually executing the strategy and get it getting it done. So that's really a great question that probably deserves a podcast just by itself. But let me speak generally. All right. When I view and, and I talk about it at length inside the book, when I talk, when I think of compensation, it's not just money. It's prestige, it's recognition, it's title, it's celebration, right? It's the feeling of accomplishment. Compensation is a part of it, obviously. And so when you've done the appropriate job of creating accountabilities throughout the organization and people throughout the organization are in alignment and agreement with what their contribution is, that's measurable. And I believe that any monetary, any compensate, all compensation should be based on accomplishing goals and objectives that you've signed up for. Right. And it, it might be something as simple as a gift card or a special night out with your wife or significant other or any number of things. Right. It doesn't have to be specifically tied to the we're going to contribute five percent, distribute five percent of our profits. That might be the budget. But what we really need to do is take that number and parse it out into all of the various compensation activities we're going to do inside the organization. 
earlier on, we, we once again, kind of the, our prep talk, when we were talking about, okay, what, what are the big things we needed to go? And you, and you talked about this concept of you need to have the big aha moment, right? You need to have, I'm assuming this compelling concept behind things. And that is also missing, I think, a lot of times a strategic ideation, right? There, there is this, it gets so busy, but how do you know when you're doing something that's actually going to move the dial? Like you've actually figured it out and you've got this, ah, I know now this is going to actually work. This is a true lever that's going to make a val you know, valuable difference to the outcome. Well, when we have active participation of middle-level leaders and what I call others, no disrespect to individual contributors and the person, the accounts receivable clerk, associate, or someone in the finance department or someone who's doing sales and operational planning. When I know that they can tell me what my most important goal is and what their contribution is to it, that's the magical aha moment. I mean, I go as far as saying inside the book that the most important goal should be at the startup screen of every corporate computer. Just to remind people on what we're doing. What, what happens, Carl, is that as it evolves, you get to a situation where people who have things, ideas on things that they want to do, if they can't show that it's going to move the needle toward the most important goal, they don't bring it to the table. You know, my favorite example of that is I was sitting in a meeting, we made countertop appliances and the marketing and engineering team were really excited about a countertop ice cream maker. <clears throat> and they wanted two and a half million dollars to kick this project off. They'd already spent Two hundred and fifty or three hundred thousand dollars in ideation, industrial design, those kinds of things. And I'm listening to this presentation, and I don't. I'm not saying anything. And the CEO goes, "Okay, what's on your mind?" Because you're quiet, and that's not me, right? And I said, "Well, you know, we really our our value proposition is we really know how to make things hot. We make toaster ovens, we make curling irons, hair dryers, coffee makers, those kinds of things." but what do we know about making things cold? And we got into a conversation about how we would have to change our engineering teams, get new skills, new technologies, change manufacturing in our supply chain. And that was the big aha moment. And the, and the project didn't move forward. Now, I was persona non grata for a long time from a lot of, a lot of the folks in the organization because of that, that outcome. But the reality is, if you've got everyone focused on the most important goal and they know what their contribution is to it, no matter how big or how small, then that's the aha moment that, that you know that you're actually going to be able to make this happen. Okay, so I want to talk about that persona non grata thing because you... you... I think we sometimes underestimate this, or I sometimes think this is exactly why a CEO brings in somebody like me and you into organization is because they intuitively know that a strategic initiative 
is not aligned, nor is it an adjacent pawn, if you may, to, to an opportunity that they have to win, you know, in the market. But for whatever reason, groupthink has taken place and it's well entrenched. And there are people who have, as you said, spent already a couple hundred thousand dollars on investing and believe that this is our opportunity to make it to the next level. But you help them with this aha moment that this is not really correlated at all. So I'm curious from that perspective, you know, so because I'm talking about this. Do you find yourself get put into those situations often where you're the, if you may, for lack of a better term, the voice of reason when ego, what I'd say is taking place in an internal situation? Help me with your experiences that you've had from that perspective. Well, a lot of senior leaders, a lot of senior leadership teams all these senior leadership teams are made up of very intelligent and very focused individuals. That's how they got there. Right. And their voices are fighting in the wind against the wind on what their own particular views of what the future state of the business looks like. And often, and, and the reason we get brought in is when those voices continue to fight in the wind, right? And that's the way, that's the reason why we chose the most important goal and we do the foundational work. What is, what's your value proposition? What are the business levers that you're going to take advantage of? What's your most important goal? When you have those three things set in place, then the voices in the wind can only fight toward those three things, can only be focused on those three things. And it very, very quickly brings everyone into a more synchronized conversation. Okay, so next piece here, let's let's talk about execution a little bit as we, as we get a few, few more minutes here in the podcast of biggest challenges you see of why an execute, you know, outside of what we already talked about, you know, middle management and compensation, what, what are the things that hold back the biggest struggles? And, so, and if you may, things you've been surprised about that has really held back an implementation from being successful. So there are multiple things, but it's primarily a result of not having clearly defined objectives, measurable objectives for the major initiatives. All right, the other piece is, the other piece is that most companies don't do a really, really good job of leveraging their technology backbone. Mm. I, go as, I, I go as far as saying in the book that companies should be organized around their technology backbone, not their, technology organized around their functional structure. Because mm. mm. if you sit and think about it, there's nothing that we do today, just like this podcast and all of the things that are going to happen, we've adopted the way we, we're working and communicating based on technology. And that's a mindset change inside of organizations that oftentimes get in the, gets in the way of implementation, successful implementation. But alignment and accountability are the two big things. So when we work with clients on implementation, 
we take the pain to make sure that we've got properly designed and chartered projects with a sponsor, clearly defined objectives, the from what to what by when. Yeah, right. And then a, a cross-functional team of people because business is done horizontally, not vertically. A cross-functional team that has uh, agreed to being accountable to the successful implementation of that project. And that makes all the difference in the world. So Jim, you, you said something I think is really important. It's been, once again, my experience as well. We work with high achieving, very smart, successful in every, you know, every measure, if you may, typically, that's why they're there. That's why we're working with them, right? But I'll see sometimes a strategic objective written out and it has 17 ideas and, 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 and it's a paragraph, right? But you talked about the importance of simplicity of this is what we're going to do and this is where we're going to go to and this is the time period of how we're going to get towards it. I sometimes get very, I was going to use a different term here, very clear, you know, like this has to be like one idea concept. When you are going through and you're editing what I'd call these objectives and they're written and they're not clear, how do you help that discernment to get it down to the most basic fundamental so people know how to act based on that objective of what's defined? So we use concept waterfall cascading objectives. Start with the major objective of the project. And it's, it's project management 101 identify the activities that need to be done in order to make that happen, make sure that there's someone who clearly owns it and is gonna lead it and manage it. Make sure that we give that individual the resources and the authority to be able to influence perhaps resources from a peer organization or from another functional department and so that is classic project management stuff, right? Now, we're talking about strategic initiatives. So that's important. But inside, in the business hierarchy, of, in strategy realized business hierarchy of needs, what I'm talking about is individual activities as well. That's right, that's right, yeah. That's, that's why the most important goal and its measurable result is clearly clearly defined for everyone in the individual in in the organization they need to understand what their role is because you, you're going to have let's just say a half a dozen strategic initiatives that support the the all tied to the most important goal but i do hundreds of thousands and even millions of activities every day and we want to make sure that everybody in the organization has this most important goal in the back of their mind Right? That's right. Yeah. So, you know, if 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 doubling enterprise, increasing enterprise value is what we want to do, I need to be focused on even DA and how do I make you know what I do more cost effective. Right. But I also need to take risk out of the organization because that has an impact on enterprise value. So we have these kinds of conversations at the senior level. As a matter of fact, inside the book. I end each section on each of the three levels with a section of on the language of each level. 
So if you sit and think about it, senior leaders need to be trained in market research and test analysis and all these other kinds of things that are unique to strategy and governance. The middle level of the organization needs to be you know, skilled. Their language is people, organization, skills, accountability, performance management. In the implementation level, the language is Six Sigma, continuous improvement, and you know, the types of activities necessary to continuously improve process re-engineering, value stream mapping, those kinds of things, right? So literally, we take the approach that each level is owned, primarily owned by a different layer of the organization and has a unique set of skills associated with it. Now, in a meeting that I had yesterday, there's 29 elements to the business hierarchy of needs. And the person that I was talking to said, I'm overwhelmed. I can't, you know, I can't manage 29 elements. And I said, you don't need to. These 29 elements are the things that every business does day in and day out. All I'm suggesting is that you point their activities toward the most important goal. Yeah. yeah. This has been fantastic. So Jim, I want to ask of course i have to ask that measuring success and, and we've talked about you know a lot of what we do right this whole purpose is to help but i'm curious from when you are internally you your company how you all measure success that you do on a day-to-day -day basis you know what what is your if you may key driver of what's driving success so the percentage of times that we get a lead and we close a project measure number yeah. one where the leads come from is the first measure. The percentage of the ones that we get and we close. Then, did I get paid? Because that's always important, right? But that's important for every business. It's not just unique to consulting, right? That's right. The third, the fourth one is, did I did the client engage us on another project? Because while the client may have been happy with the result and paid us, the question is, do they think enough of us? Do we, are we the right cultural fit? Do we have the right skill sets to get re-engaged? And then the last one is how many referrals we get from existing clients to other people. Mm -hmm. So we, we literally have five metrics that we use to gauge the success of our consulting organization. Fantastic. I always like it when people who, who do this have their, you're walking the walk, you're, you're doing the things that you recommend to other people internally. I love that. Let's just, just a quick on the personal side. Once again, we focus so much on strategy. You yourself have accomplished a lot through your career. What habits have you done on a personal basis, which has helped yourself have such high success throughout your own career? So I'd like to say that I'm a great listener, but there would be people who would argue with that. I'd like to say that I'm a great facilitator, but there would be people who would argue that as well. But I, I, I think more important, I think more importantly is that I attempt through my book, the 200 blog articles I've written that are on the group50.com website to Take the time to logically put down thinking. And I didn't say my thinking, I said thinking because I'm influenced by 
the great people who are inside of Group 50 and our clients and the literature to put my think to put thinking into a logical format and share it back and share it back with people. Right. 60 over 60 percent of our business comes from organic search on the Internet. And it's because we've taken that's a personal habit I have is to write because it forces me to logically think through what I'm talking about. Great. Great. I love that. And I love it how something you've done and what's in you find you have strength with is that has actually created people trying to find you, right? As a result of just the natural searching. That's, that's fantastic. Jim, we, obviously, I highly recommend people to purchase your book and, and do that. What's been a book for you that has been really influential that you'd recommend to our guest? Or, excuse me, to our audience. Ooh. There are so many great books out there. I'm not sure that I can specifically specifically say one. I, I can tell you that one that I that I've just finished listening to because I'm an audible geek is Premonition by Carl Lewis. And it talks about the COVID pan, the pandemic and walks you through, he does such a great job in all of his work, walks you through all of the trials and tribulations that were associated with dealing with the pandemic. And very specifically in California. Now, why would I even bring this up? As I'm listening to this, I'm thinking about all of the trials and tribulations that businesses go through in attempting to try and allow big new ideas to birth, right? And, and in order to attempt to try and get organizations together. And what was interesting, what was interesting is as I listened to this book, I realized there was no one most important goal. In, in the either the state level or the level in terms of dealing with the pandemic, we had no goal. And so most important goal, if it had been to, you know, unlike China, which I, I don't necessarily agree, I'm not su suggesting I agree with what they did. What I'm saying was they had a goal. Their goal was not to spread the virus, yeah. right? And you saw a massive national implementation. So unlike the United States, where it was every person for themselves, every state for themselves, every locale, we saw what kind of chaos that created and what the unfortunate result was. So for me, Premonition by Carl Lewis is a perfect example of why you need to have a most important goal and why you need to understand the needs of whether it's an organization, a university, a business, or a government, you need to understand those things to have everyone rowing in the same direction. That's right. That's right. It's fantastic. I think great recommendation. And thank you for the uh, applying it, right, to these concepts of here is something that's, that's well, we, we all experience, right? And, and then how, though, we can apply those. Right? I think that's always the most interesting things of reading so much is how can we apply these different concepts on a consistent basis to what we're doing, right? How does it drive towards us? Jim, how can people learn more about you and get connected with you? So just type in Jim, get me on LinkedIn, obviously. I'm more than happy to connect that way. 
the website for my company is www.group5050.com. And that tells you all about Group 50 and what we do and our focus on middle market manufacturing. The book is website is www.strategyrealized.com. And that will give you access to where you can purchase the book, which includes both Amazon and Barnes and Noble. And on the 9th of February, in just 10 days, it'll be available as a hardcover. Today, it's Kindle and PDF. And inside what inside the on the website, there's a resources tab that has some downloadable workbooks and worksheets that support the book. That's fantastic. And, and one of the things that I say inside the book is that most people aren't going to read about the 29 elements. They're, they're going to get it in the beginning and they're going to go, well, we'll, we'll, we can go off and do this. So I created a workbook. It's in Word that allows you to take that document and answer the questions in each one of the sections to create your own unique business hierarchy of needs. Yeah, I and I know that there are going to be a lot of people who are just going to say, I'll read the book later. I'm just going to use the workbook. But then the book becomes the reference for it instead of the other way around. Yeah. No, I appreciate that. It's I, I was smiling while listening to that because I a couple of years ago or I, I'd read my first first and only marathon. And I immediately went to the back of the book, to the tables on how to run. You know, like how, how much should I run each day and how much rest should I give myself and for the 18 week program? Of course, I didn't read the book initially, initially. And I went through a lot of pain and suffering. And, and then I was like, well, maybe I should read this book. And it was fascinating. The insights, of course, it gave me. And of course, Hal Higdon had run over 100 marathons. It's like, perhaps I should have stopped and waited right before trying to do this. So I think people will find probably for yourself, of there's one thing trying to go towards to fix something, but understanding the how and the why behind it. I encourage you to read the whole book because I think it will have that help you to become more effective ultimately getting it done. Yeah, if I might. Just one last comment and yes, a of course, segue yeah. on what you just said. You know, we've all become addicted to the short 100 word, 250 character TikTok type introductions to topics. I'm going to make a suggestion to your listeners that you take the time to read through this before you attempt to go ahead and implement it. Now, this is a four-hour read, all right? And it will cause you to think about it differently. Now, I've had feedback that says, no one's going to read this. This is too much detail. The 29 elements, it's overwhelming and everything. Okay, perfect. But that's a classic example of why we as leader, leadership and others don't fully appreciate a concept or don't fully appreciate an approach because we don't take the time up front to understand it. And of course, your example about the marathon is a, is perfect as well. Yep. And it was a lot of unnecessary soreness I put my through as a result of that. So, <laughs> so Jim, thank you so much. It's been a pleasure having you as a guest on the Measure Success Podcast. You're quite welcome, and the pleasure is all mine.
And to everyone else who's listening, we're so thankful once again for helping us to grow and, and grow our audience. And with that, of course, we wish you the very best at measuring your success. Have a great day. Thanks for listening to the Measure Success Podcast. We'll see you again next time to learn from the best. Remember to subscribe now to get future episodes.